0: Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I also wanna welcome those of you who are watching online. So glad that you made it to church as well, wherever you are uh, watching around the country and world. Always glad to welcome you as well. And I'm gonna begin today with, with kind of a confession. I'm really not proud of this, but I'm a little cheap. A kinder word would be that I'm frugal or conservative, but the truth is I'm, I'm kind of cheap at times. I also like my stuff, and I don't like to share much, so two summers ago when my daughter and son-in-law were loading up the U-Haul to move to Columbia, Missouri, my wife said, the kids need a grill, so let's give them ours. I said, "Uh, let them get their own grill. She said, we need a new grill anyway, let's just give them ours. I said, well, we wouldn't need a new grill if we just kept our old grill. The wheels were missing, parts were rusted off, and then I thought, I actually had this thought, I thought, I wonder what Jesus would do if he had a grill. You know, Jesus probably never even had a grill, and if he didn't have a grill, why do our kids need a grill? I actually had that thought. (laughs) Finally, I just gave in, and there there went our perfectly good grill onto their truck, and then it was our bed in the guest room. My wife said, they need a bed for their guest room, so I'm going to give them the one in our guest room. I said, we're not giving them our bed. She said, we need a new one in the guest room anyway. I said, what's wrong with the old one? She said, it's over 30 years old and it sags. I said, but nobody ever sleeps in the guest room. Nobody ever goes in there. She said, my parents are coming in three weeks. We need a new bed in the guest room. I said, I'm not getting a new bed just for your parents. They're 85. They're used to saggy things. (laughs) But onto the truck went our old bed and off we went to the mattress store to buy a new bed, and her parents never came. (laughs) And we had words. Uh, Same thing happened with our lawnmower. That went onto the truck and my favorite rocking chair that they actually snuck onto the truck without me knowing it. When we unloaded it down in Missouri, I I said, hey, that's my favorite rocking chair. And my wife said, you never use it. I said I would use it if he brought it up from the basement where you kind of keep it hidden from me. So now, this is what we do. Whenever we visit the kids in Missouri, you know, I grill burgers on my perfectly good grill. We sleep in our perfectly, my perfectly good bed. My wife mows their lawn with my perfectly good lawnmower. And we rock the baby in my perfectly good rocker that I want back, actually. But I'm not going to get it. Point is, I'm not good about letting others have my stuff. It's not natural for me to be generous, especially with my money. If I'm honest, I have some tension around the issue of money in my life, which is why today's teaching is so good for me. Actually, I wrote this message for me. You're just, if you want to listen in, that's fine today, but it's just all, it's really for me. But I I am so glad you're here because for many of us, money is our number one stressor in life. Some of you worry about losing it, not having enough of it. Others of you fight over it, overspend it, borrow too much of it. Some of you are one missed paycheck or one emergency hospital visit away from disaster. It is a constant source of tension for you. But I want to tell all of you here today, that is not God's desire for any of your lives. In fact, look at the Bible says in Philippians 4, it says, God will supply all of your needs. He will. Has God ever not supplied every one of your needs? God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Jesus Christ. Gang, if the Bible is true and the Bible is true, if God promises to supply all of our needs according to his riches, then you and I can begin to relax when it comes to money. The problem is some of you aren't experiencing God's richest blessings really in much of anything, not in your work, finances, or relationships. So when four of us got away way back in May and talked about our message series for the entire year, somebody in our group said, do we really wanna do a money series? And I I stood up and I said, look, money is still the number one problem in people's lives. 38% of all Americans, almost 40% of all Americans, have $16,000 of credit card debt that they pay 12% interest on. This is insanity. Nobody should have credit card debt. It's, 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 a, it's a losing game. It's okay to have a credit card, but pay it off every month. But 38% of all Americans carry $16,000 on average credit card debt, and 70% of all Americans don't budget, save, invest, or give. And so I said to these other three guys, that's craziness. We owe it to our church to talk about how God wants us to handle money so that people can get out of debt, start saving, start investing, and start giving. By the way, just, just as a side note, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject talked about money more than faith, prayer, heaven, or hell combined. So if Jesus talked about money more than anything else, gang, as a church, we should mention it at least once in a while. By the way, Jason Strand gave a fantastic message last week on how to attack our debt, control spending, and start saving. If you missed that message, you ought to dial in and, and, and look at it, listen to whatever this week. But today, I really have my work cut out for me. I know I do because the final part seems completely irrational. The final part to financial freedom seems completely illogical, but I'm telling you, it's the part that brings God's fullest, catch this, spiritual and financial blessing to our lives. And it's the part of giving. As soon as I say that, I know that some of you roll your eyes and say, I knew it. <laughs> All they wants are our money. Not true. Not true. Absolutely not true. In fact, if you don't want to give to this church, give to another church, because this isn't about getting anybody's money. It's about getting our hearts aligned with God's heart, getting our hearts right with God so that he will begin to honor and bless us in every part of our lives. Let me show you about a woman in the Bible. True story that happened in in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a fantastic story. A lot of us can relate to this. Uh, Bible says, one day a woman, a widow came to Elijah. Elijah was a prophet back then. He was kind of the pastor to the the Jewish people at that time. A widow came to Elijah and she cried out to my husband's dead and now a creditor has threatened to take my two sons as slaves. Elijah said, tell me what you have in your house. She said, well, really, I have nothing at all. I have nothing at all except a little flask of oil. That's all I've got left. Elijah said, well, here's what I want you to do. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends, neighbors, family, anybody you can, anybody that you know, know, borrow as many empty jars and then go back into your house with your two sons. Pour that little olive oil that you have left from your flask into these jars. So she did as she was told. Her sons brought many jars to her and she filled one jar after another after another, soon every jar was full to the brim. Kind of a miracle there. When she told Elijah what happened, he said, now sell the oil, pay your debts, and there'll be enough money left over to support you and your family. So here's a woman whose husband has died. She has no job. She has outstanding debts. And a creditor has come to take her two sons kind of as collateral. And these creditors are gonna sell her sons into slavery to kind of get their money. Because isn't this true? When you are under financial strain, there's a domino effect where things, it seems like everything is falling apart, just piles up. So she goes to her pastor, Elijah, and when he asks her what she still has left in her house, she says, nothing at all except, except a little flask of oil. By the way, what a great question, Elijah, Ask her, what do you still have left in your house? Gang, sometimes when we're absolutely desperate and we think there's nothing else we can do about our situation, we need someone to ask us, but wait, wait. What do you still have? You know, what do you still have in your house? Is there anything you still have, anything you can be thankful for? Is there anything that maybe God can use To restore your life. I bring this up because I I meet people often who think all of their options are completely gone. And yet when I begin to talk to them, I can tell they're of sound body and mind. They can read and write. Uh, You know, they, they, they have access to the finest schools and best jobs in the world. They have a great church. They have wonderful friends and a God who loves them and just wants to know, what do you still have? What do you still have? She says, all I have is a flask of oil, but I'm telling you, gang, that's, that's all God needs to go to work in your life and mine. Elijah tells her to go get a bunch of jars and then begin pouring the last bit of oil she has into these jars, and I love this next verse. She just did as she was told. Made no sense whatsoever to do this. What Elijah asked her to do is completely irrational. But what God wants to know is, will she do it anyway? Will she trust God anyway and pour out this last bit of oil that she has left? And I just, again, quick time out. Gang, when it comes to giving or releasing something back to God, it will seem irrational to you almost every time. And what God wants to know is, will you trust Him? Well, you trust him anyway. In fact, the stress that you and I feel around our money isn't really a money issue. It's really a trust issue. Who or what am I trusting in this life? Without any hesitation, she trusted God, did as she was told, and God took that tiny little flask of oil, and here's what God did. He began multiplying it so that every jar was filled to the brim. Now, that's her story. Let's talk about our story for a little bit because when it comes to our financial tension and the scarcity that many of us feel around money, it's really an issue of trust. Can I really trust God with my life? Most of us are trusting God with our death and eternity. We're just trusting God with that. But I don't know about our money. You know, I don't know if I, God, I don't know if I can trust you with my money. I'll trust you with my life, my eternity, but... I don't know about my money. It's really an issue of trust because the biggest I think the biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to money and giving, they hold on to their flask of oil. they think, "I've got to hang on to what I have." And they miss God's multiplied, God's multiplied blessing. The most important thing this lady did was she released her oil, even though it was irrational to do that so that God could multiply it and fill the jars and fill her life. As we look at this story, there's dozens like it, by the way, in the Bible. We know that God understands our financial tension, and the word that God uses to deal with the tension and scarcity, a lot of us feel around this, is the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E. It's a biblical word, and tithe simply means tenth. So the Bible teaches, in addition to attacking our debt, in addition to controlling our spending and set a, setting aside savings, God says the final and most important part to our financial freedom is tithing. So I want to spend just a little bit time today talk to you about what God means about tithing. Biblical tithing is simply this: It's returning to God what actually belongs to Him in the first place. Now think about this for just a second. Isn't it true that everything you have came from God. Isn't that true? Your life, all the resources that you have, your intellect, your ability to work and create, everything you have came from God and actually belongs to God, came from him, belongs to him. In fact, Psalm 24 says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What does the word everything mean? The word everything simply means everything. You know, I'm not that bright, but I, I, that's just what it means. The earth is the Lord's, and every single thing in the earth is His, including you and me. Our lives, our livelihoods, everything belongs to Him. Nothing you have is permanent. You're just using it for a while your car, property, collections, jewelry, kitchen. It all stays here, by the way, once we exit this world. In fact, a few months ago, I was away, and uh, my staff remodeled, we have some staff that knows how to do this, remodeled my office when I was away, and when I came back, they'd taken a bunch of my treasures that I'd collected over like 25 years, and they'd been on my shelf for all this time, and they were really kind of important to me in treasures, and they had put all of these treasures in three large bins like this. And I, I came back and I said, well, wait a minute. What, what's all my stuff doing in these blue bins? And everybody was quiet. And one brave soul said, well, you know, the dumpsters. I said, what? The dump- I said, what? And, you know, they just kind of looked at me because, they, you know, they didn't want to get into trouble. But I, I looked at, but, I, but I began looking at these bins and I began looking at my stuff. And I thought, what good is it anyway? I don't really do anything with it. I mean, I have Russian dolls, and there's, this is an, I think there's eight of them, you know, you, you take off the top, and I've got like five of these things, but they just, they just sit on my shelf, and they don't do anything. I can't do anything with them. I mean, I don't even see them anymore. This is a, this is a miniature casket. <laughs> we, we have a mortician in our church who's got a twisted sense of humor, and he gave this to me as a gift. It says, Bob Merritt. Leader, pastor, and mortician wannabe. And so I open it up and there's a bottle of wine. So it's, it's just weird, I mean it's death and happiness all wrapped into, I don't know what to do with it. It's been on my shelf for, you know, decades. I've got a, I've got a ukulele. It's got dust on it. It was a gift given to me from a pastor in Hawaii. Don't, don't even ask, but I don't know how to play a ukulele. I've, I barely even look at it, it but it sits in my, what's, what's wrong here? It sits in my office. And one of my staff actually was looking, sifting through my bin and he wants this and I I guess that's fine. I'll give it to him. I I, I really don't care. This is a wig. I'm not kidding you. This is a wig. It belonged to a lady who in our church, a very dear lady, a dear friend of mine who got cancer and she passed. This is years ago. And at her funeral, she had bequeathed numerous gifts, and she gave me her wig. She said, Bob, you need some hair. You need some hair. And so I've I've hung on to this wig. I I don't know why. I mean, it's just, it's a little creepy. And I've got other stuff in here, you know, all kinds of stuff. This is from Ukraine. What is this? It's just insanity. And so, but then I thought, you know, I've got three of these bins, but then I thought this thought. Everything I have is in some kind of bin. My house. It's in a bin. I can't take it with me. My my car, my actually my retirement fund. I may or may not use some of that money. In fact, a lot of people leave it here. I mean, never even touch it. It's all in some kind of blue bin. And and I I I love this verse. It's a little bit weird. Naked I was born. And naked I'll depart. You think of that? Naked I was, don't think about it too much, but <laughs> naked I was born. And doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter how much you have. You'll leave this earth, all stays, every single thing. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's, everything in it. I don't really own anything, especially since my wife gave it all away. I, I don't own anything. We just have it for a while. And then it stays. So, so the tithe, getting back to the tithe, is simply bringing back to God what already, what already belongs to him. And I want to get specific about this. Leviticus, there's a lot of verses, but Leviticus 27 says it this way, a tenth of the produce of the land. This was an agricultural society, and so that's how they measured money. A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him. And it's holy. God says, I want you to take a tenth of all you produce, of all you earn, and just bring it back to me as a form of worship. And I know this blows a lot of your minds. And sometimes we hear this and we get a little fuzzy and we say, Bob, I'm not sure I understand what that means. What's the math? One-tenth of everything I have. Well, the way it works is God says, look, the earth is mine and everything in it is mine. It belongs to me. So let's say that that God gives you a hundred dollars, $10, $10, 10 bills so one, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. He gives you 100 dollars. He says, "Look, it's all mine. I, I'm just going to give this to you. And all I'm asking you to do as a form of worship, as a form of trusting in me, all I'm asking God says, is that you give me one of those $10 bills back, just as a form of worship, to keep your heart aligned with me, and you can do whatever you want with the other nine, you know Buy a new rocking chair, grill, whatever you want that you need. Guest bed, just whatever you need to do with the other nine. But just honor me with the ten. And we say, well, I I think I get it, but I'm I'm not sure because when God gives us more money, it gets a little fuzzy for us. But gang, it's it's really not fuzzy. So, but but let's say God gives you a thousand dollars. He says, look, it's all mine. Everything in it, everything in the earth belongs to me, but I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you $1,000. I have 10 $100 bills, 10, 100, I can't count, 200, three, four. <laughs> so up to 10. All, God says, all, all I'm asking you to do is just honor me with the first 10%, and I will multiply that in your life. It's an act of trust. It's really not an issue of money, and that's what tithing is. Now, the reason, gang, the reason God asks us to tithe is, is Jesus says this. He says, where your money is, that's where your heart will be. Where your money goes, that your heart will follow, and if we looked at my credit card account, that will say a lot about my heart. It'll say a lot about my values. If I see what we spend, if I looked at your credit card account, would there be anything on your credit card account or record that goes toward God. Or does it all go toward you and toward possessions and things that you think you want and I want? God says, look where your money is. It says a lot about your heart. Your heart will follow. And God, gang, God wants our heart. He wants to be number one in our heart because if God is not number one in our heart, our hearts will drift away from him and we'll begin chasing things that can actually destroy our life. Biggest danger with money is it can become our number one goal, our number one God, and when, our, when money's our God, we will chase the wrong things. And that, in fact, the Bible warns about this. Those who want to get rich fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice this verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not, money's fine. Money is neutral. He's talking about our heart, the love of, the obsession of, the pursuit of money as number one is the root of all evil. He goes on to say, some people eager for money have actually wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When money is our God, we chase things that can ruin us. In Minnesota, it's been deer season. It's like Christmas. I love it. And this past deer season, two weeks ago, it was just, I was on a deer stand, it was just crazy. In 45 years of deer hunting, I've never had this happen to me. I, I, it, uh, the, the bucks were chasing, the bucks were chasing the does back and forth, and, and they were just insane. And I was on my deer stand, and, and suddenly a six-point buck and an eight-point buck were chasing a doe just hot in her trail. And I watched this happen, and, and, and I, I tried to get a shot there. They, they were moving so fast, and then they disappeared over a ridge, and then they came running back through the, through the woods and through the brush. and I was trying to get a shot. I wanted the eight-point, and the six-point was hot on her trail, and he was following the six-point. Suddenly, the eight-point lost track of the six-point and the doe. And he, and he paused for a second. big mistake. <laughs> and you know, we love venison, and if you're not if you're kind of. Irritated by my hunting stories. Are you having turkey this Thursday? Okay, just just checking. Just checking, okay? Settle down. Don't send any emails, okay? The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's for us to enjoy. So anyway, back to the story. This, this six-point heard the shot. Loud explosion in the woods. The, the six-point and the doe actually stopped. Heard the shot. Six point actually came back and looked at his buddy. <laughs> Stared at him for a few seconds and then th- thought, oh well. And then went back chasing his doe like nothing ever happened. And can I show you, just can I show you a picture? Is that okay, real quick? Okay, don't hold up too long because you know you have all kinds of people out here. So <laughs> but here's my point. <laughs> This this six-point buck was totally blinded by his desires. And he was determined to have that dough no matter what. And the Bible says that those whose number one goal is chasing money, they're blind to danger, blind to other people. They'll cut corners. They'll neglect their family. They'll do whatever it takes. Paul says they will even wander from their faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. That's why God says, look, honor me first. Keep me first in your life, beginning with your resources, because where your money is, that's where your heart will be. And one day God spoke to a bunch of people about this, and these people appeared to be religious. They came to church a lot, sang the songs, but God was really upset with them. And he said their faith was shallow, if, if even, even if it was real at all. And look what God says. He says, but you've cheated me. He was talking to religious people. And the people said, well, when did we ever cheat you, God? We go to church, we sing, we, you know. And God said, look, you've cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me, so you're under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. And these people were acting religious, but God said they were under a curse because they weren't tithing, and it meant that life was not going to go well for them. Quick time out once again. Anybody here, don't raise any hands, but anybody here feel like you're Like you're under some kind of financial curse that no matter what you do, you can't seem to get ahead. Maybe, I I, I don't know. But maybe God is just waiting for you to trust him, to pour out your oil and trust him and release that with the first 10% purely as an act of obedience and worship. And God says, he makes a promise. He says, look, if you do this, it's a step of faith. It's a scary, scary step of faith. But he says, if you do this, then, if you take that step of faith, then I will open the windows of heaven, pour out so much blessing, you won't even have room for it. Now, I need to be real clear on something real quick. It doesn't mean you won't have any problems. We all have problems. We're all humans. We all have problems. It doesn't mean God's going to make you rich. It simply means that you can begin now trusting that God will take care of you. And then look what God says. He said, I want you to test me in this. I dare you. It's the only time in the Bible God uses this word testing us. He says, says, let me prove to you, let me prove to you that I always give back more than you give, that if you test me and trust me, I will do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. I guarantee it. My wife and I have done this our entire lives whether we've had a lot or little, every paycheck we've ever received, we take the first 10% and we give it back to God as a form of worship. And God, I'm telling you, God has so blessed our family, our work, our kids, and our finances. Honestly, we would be afraid not to give for fear of missing some of God's protection and provision. In fact, I so believe this. There is a God factor in tithing that defies human explanation. When my wife and I were in grad school, I made $80 a week. $80 a week. We were bleeding financially. It made no sense whatsoever to tithe. But every single week, the first check we, we wrote to the church we attended, $8 out of that $80, 10%. We couldn't see the future. We didn't know what God had in mind. But God blessed us with jobs and opportunities that we never saw coming. I honestly believe that part of what God has allowed to happen through my life in this church is because we've always honored him with our, our money and our time. Gang, there is, a, there is a God factor that you cannot predict, you cannot explain when you begin releasing some of what God's given you. So there's, so there's this huge personal upside that God promises to bless those who honor him with their money. But honestly, what I hope for all of us is that we get beyond what's in it for me. And, and, I, and I hope we all get to this point where we say, God, I want to be part of something eternal. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I want you to use my life and my resources in leading other people for you, because I want to raise a question, gang, what is the answer? Honestly, what is the answer to society's problems that we see every single day? What is the answer to the opioid addiction? What's the answer to suicide? To theft? To kids who grow up without dads and moms? To sexual misconduct that runs rampant and ruins relationships? And honestly, what, what is the answer to this? Can the Democrat and Republican Party change a human life from being destructive to being productive? Can a government program turn a hate-filled person into a kind and loving one? Can a university, business, or sports team turn a destructive person into someone who loves God and blesses others? I'm telling you, the only answer... To all these problems that we see in society and even in our own lives, the only answer is when a person finally meets Jesus Christ and Christ begins a new work in their life, a new love, a new peace, a new joy, a new morality, a new power to overcome sin. That is the only answer to lead people to Christ who alone has the power to transform a human life. And that's the mission of this church. Gang, it's the church that has the ability to do this through Christ. In fact, last week I received a letter that talked about this from a lady who attends our church, and it it was so good that I want all of you to hear this. So just take this in, then I'll come back, and we'll wrap up in just a second. Watch this.
1: Dear Bob, my name is Denise, and I've been attending Eagle Brook for several years. I go to the Blaine campus with my son's family when I can, but I live about an hour away, so lately I've been watching online. Last year, after 14 years of directing a ministry, the Lord led me out of leadership. Since then, I've been wrestling with God, trying to find what my purpose in life is. Recently, I started a new job working with organ donation. I was familiar with that field As in 2005, my 19 year old daughter Bridget died as a result of a car accident. She was an organ donor, so I learned firsthand how much care doctors and nurses give to people in need of a transplant. I also learned about the journey a grieving family goes through after such a loss. I knew this would be meaningful work with a purpose I could wrap my heart around, yet I continued to wrestle. You see, part of my new job is to take phone calls from hospitals across our three-state area. Whenever someone is dying or has passed away, we are contacted to help facilitate the donation process. Day after day after day, I deal with death. It's overwhelming. After fielding hundreds of those phone calls, here is what I know. The world is hurting, and there is such a need for hope. Almost every day, a drug overdose, or two, or three, will be reported. And then there are the calls where a life has been cut short all too soon, a reminder we are not promised tomorrow. But the ones I find most troubling are calls about suicide. These calls often involve teenagers caught in the throes of depression, or people dealing with all kinds of abuse. They are husbands and wives whose marriages are failing, or someone stuck in the pit of addiction. My heart not only hurts for these real people, but for their loved ones left behind. The pain is so deep, it's palpable through the phone. So I wrestle because I believe the enemy is alive and well, looking for who he can destroy next. What family can he tear apart What life can he defeat? Last weekend, I was driving home from another 12-hour shift filled with calls about tragedy and death when I turned on that week's church service. The music was so powerful, the message so challenging. I had to pull over because I started crying. That moment was a turning point for me. All of my wrestling led me to a crystal clear realization. And that realization was the church is the hope of the world. And I'm a part of that. Our purpose as his followers is to spread the hope we have in Jesus with people who may be lost but are still alive. I so believe in this church. I believe the Lord has put Eagle Brook here for such a time as this. The world needs to know the love, healing, and power of Jesus now more than ever. So why do I share this? I honestly don't know. I guess I just want to tell people to go, serve wherever you can, to give, be generous so others might have an opportunity to be reached and to pray. I pray each and every person who is a part of Eaglebrook will rise up and be empowered by God to reach others for Christ. For in him alone is our one true hope.
0: I was so grateful to receive uh, that letter from Denise this week. And just, yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing that. One of the things I want to say is, as a church, we do exist. One of our purposes and goals is just to help people heal. If you're here and you feel depressed, and depression is a real thing, and it's sometimes unexplainable, or you're just alone, or you just feel wounded in some way by a conflict in your life or maybe something from the past, please, you know, don't carry that alone. We have people who are willing to pray with you, and prayer is so powerful. Prayer is the first step. Asking God to come in and heal you. And so after the service today at all campuses, uh, you can just come and and find healing and and take that step of prayer. I urge you to do that today. But Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say I'm going to build a university. He didn't say I'm going to build a business. He didn't say I'm going to build a sports team. He said, I'm going to build my church because it's only through the church that people can find Jesus Christ and be transformed. That's why I've given my life to the church. And it's why God asks us to tithe, to be a part of the church. And if you're wondering where the money goes, you know, the last time we did this, we actually built the Anoka campus debt-free. And now 4,000 people are attending that campus every weekend, finding new life, In Christ, that all came from the generosity of people who tithe in this church. We train churches all over the country. I don't know if you know this, the Eagle Brook Association trains churches all over Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Texas, Indiana, and all over the world. 50,000 people have come to know Jesus Christ through the efforts of the Eagle Brook Association. We staff it, we resource it last year. We were able to give a quarter of a million dollars to Orphan Network in, in Nicaragua, a fantastic organization, to reach an entire province of, of kids who are orphaned. A thousand kids are now fed every single day because of the generosity of people in this church, and 800 of those kids have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior already. As a church, we continue to impact Norway. Sixty pastors and leaders were just here about a month ago getting resourced, Haiti, Mozambique, we're involved there, Ethiopia. Two weeks ago, do you remember this? Two weeks ago, Jason Strand, he asked us to pray for a school board meeting that was taking, gonna take place on the west side of the Twin Cities. Remember this? He said, please pray. We're hoping to put a campus on the west side of the metro. And some of the staff who teach at that high school walked around the auditorium and began praying for every seat in that auditorium that, that one day God would fill those seats with people who are wanting a relationship with Jesus Christ in a public school. Well, God answered those prayers because last Monday night, the school board at Wyzetta High School voted to unanimously open up our seventh campus. It's gonna open up March 4th, gang, so that thousands of people can come to know Christ on the west side of the Twin Cities. Isn't that fantastic? By the way, Jason Strand, you know, we got a picture of Jason here when he was in high school. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Just that amazing hair and just unbelievable. But I just applaud him because his heart was open toward God and he just had a burden for that Wyzetta area and the the whole West Metro. He began praying about this and he began emailing the high school out in Wyzetta where he went to school and he thought, God, wouldn't it be amazing if one day we could have a campus in the school that I went to? By the way, there's all kinds of sinners out there Wyzetta that need to be reached. I mean, they're just bad. I'm <laughs> just kidding. They're just like us. Sinners like us. Uh, we have a map of our campuses now, and I'd like to show you that, where we're at now, and then, you know, Wyzetta, and then we're, we're trying to make our way around just so that people can find a place. By the way, for the Blaine campus today, Mike Emmert, I know this is sweet and sour news, but Mike Emmert is going to be our campus pastor there at Wyzetta. He's going to talk to you a little bit about that. And I know that that brings a sadness to you a little bit, but Mike is one of our best campus pastors, and he's gonna lead the charge there in YZ. It's bigger than all of us, and so he'll talk to you in just a minute about that. But, gang, wouldn't it be amazing if in a couple of years we could build a new campus on the West Metro? I believe we will, simply because of the generosity, people deciding. begin to tithe. We believe this so so strongly that we're going to give you a challenge, and some of you are familiar with this challenge. We call it the 90-day tithing challenge. What I'm going to ask you to do for the next 90 days, if you're not doing this already, just to trust God fully. Just trust God and release back to him the first 10%. I know that just blow. Bob, are you nuts? Thousands of us do this every, every single week. And God is so, we would never turn back, would we? We'd never do it any other way, those of us who tithe. But I'm just, I'm just challenging you, 90 days. Do it for 90 days. This is all about trust. And by the way, if at the, at the end of 90 days, you've tried this and you said, you know what? I'm not gonna do this anymore. I changed my mind. We'll give you your money back. We will, promise. We will, we'll give it all back. If this isn't something you wanna continue. How it works, just go to our website, 90-day challenge, tithing challenge, click, sign up. Again, this isn't about getting something from you. It's what we want for you. None of us are getting raises. This isn't about that. We'll use it to expand our mission throughout the Twin Cities and world. And gang, if for some reason you'd think, you know, I just can't trust this church, give it to another church. Because it really is about what God wants to do in your life and through your life. So that's the challenge. One final thing. I am so proud of this church and so honored. I just want to say to those of you who have been tithing and giving for years and years and years. Thank you. Thank you for trusting God. Thank you for giving your life to a greater purpose than just accumulating a bunch of stuff that's going to end up in a blue bin. So thank you. Way to go. And to the rest of us, it's a challenge. And I hope you take, it, take us up on it. There's, you're going to get a card as you leave. Every campus, just as a reminder. But as we, as we close today, let's just stand and pray and uh, be on our way then. Real quick, God, thank you so much for your goodness to all of us. We, Most of us just stood to our feet because you gave us the ability to stand. You give us health and strength and you've given us life. You've given us everything we have. But God, this is an area in every one of our lives that is so difficult and doesn't make sense. It is human nature to want to cling to and build up and accumulate as much as we can. God, that's my nature. Forgive me when I get greedy. But God, I thank you that you've allowed me to release and be generous in this area. I thank you for your blessings. So God, we all have this challenge in our life at different levels. And I just pray now that you will speak to each one of us as we leave this place. God, we love you. We came to worship you and know you just a little bit better. Go with us now as we leave in Jesus' name, amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for coming out, everybody.